0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. It's a, this is a crazy chapter that we're going to look at today. We're looking in, in Daniel chapter 4. It, is, it might be the nuttiest chapter in the Bible. Because, let me just, just point out this one thing that's unique about it. It's the only chapter in the Bible that's written by a pagan. I mean, a pagan king. Chapter 4 in Daniel is written by Nebuchadnezzar. It's like torn out of his diary and stuck into Daniel's diary about what took place while they were in Babylon. And it's like, I don't know. Oh, God. you remember Nebuchadnezzar, right? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, I am the great and almighty Nebuchadnezzar. I am all powerful and to be feared. I can do anything I want. Not even the gods can stop me that Nebuchadnezzar. He conquered what would be you know, the, the, the known world at the time, built his, his capital city, Babylon. He built it for him so that it would be a showpiece. Uh, the, uh, the, the Greek historian Herodotus said this, in addition to its side, Babylon surpasses in splendor any city in the known world. Nebuchadnezzar built it. It was his city. It was there because he made it there. Archaeologists have Just recorded the carvings on the walls that are on the city. It takes 126 pages just to write down all the carvings on the walls. Okay, you've heard of right the seven wonders of the ancient world. One of the the prime one is the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. This apparently was built for his wife who grew up in the mountain and lush mountain area, and he said, "Honey, whatever you want." Remember that, guys. Anything you want. So he pushed Central Park into a tower and made this giant, multi-storied, just mind-blowing gardens. And in his palace, you could see the exterior walls, 20 miles around the city, so wide that you could have several chariots race around those. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, that's what he's like. There was no one like him. And, 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 I mean, I am the great and mighty Nebuchadnezzar. I am all-powerful and to be feared. No no one can stop me from doing what I want, not even the gods. That's Nebuchadnezzar. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all people, nations, and languages to live, that live throughout the earth, you, may you have abundant prosperity. Okay, I don't think, I never knew he cared about me. But he's, he's, he's praying that we would have abundant prosperity. The signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for me, I am pleased to recount how great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is, everlasting, is an everlasting kingdom. His sovereignty is from generations to generations. Wow. What happened to him? His life has been radically changed. I mean, this is this is a whole new Nebuchadnezzar. This chapter, chapter 4, is his testimony. It's the story of his conversion. And you can see that he loves being a follower of the God of Abraham here. His, his right, is sovereignty is from generations to generations. His, 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 his kingdoms are everlasting. This is the theme of this chapter. Okay? Here's the theme of the chapter because it, it, show, it shows up three times. Three times it's stated in this chapter. So here it is. Here's what you need to know. That every living thing would know that the Most High God who rules all the kingdoms of men placed people in charge whomever he wants. That's the theme. That's, what, that's what he, all, That all the living might learn, or some translations, all the living might know that the Most High God rules the kingdoms of men and puts in charge whomever he wants. That's the theme. And Nebuchadnezzar at this point, uh, you know, in chapter 3 anyway, he thinks he's in charge because he put himself in charge. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to look at what happened to Nebuchadnezzar's life, it's, and it starts like, like any other day in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Verse 4 says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I was living content in my home and prospering in my palace. I want that on my re- I'm living content in my home and prospering in my palace because one of those is enough, isn't it? Just to be content at home or prospering in a palace, that would be an upgrade. But think about that. Most books today, books, and seminars and conferences, we're trying to figure out how to be, what, prosperous would be nice, or content would be another, but he is prosperous, and content, while he's living in his palace. It's all good. It's all good. It's not all good. He thinks it's all good. He is blind to the sickness that's within his soul. It's it's narcissistic hubris pride. And God cares about that in him, and God is going to remove that from him. God's going to take him on a journey, and it's a long journey, and it's deeply painful, but it's going to require a miracle to transform this man's heart, and that's his story. That's what he's talking about. And so it starts because he's, verse 4, I'm I'm just being content at my house. I'm living prosperously in my palace, but I can't sleep. I have a terrible dream. That's how it starts. Let me just read it. It says, I had, a, I had a dream that frightened me. I had fantasies in my bed and visions that were terrifying me in my head. And this is how God speaks to people that can't hear from other human beings. He, he invades. Their private space. And here's the dream he had. He said, I had a dream that there was a tree in the center of the earth, and it grew strong and wide, and it grew up and touched the heavens, and out and touched every place on earth. And it was, it was, the, it was the place of safety and, and provisions for all the world. And the animals of the land would come and shade themselves under the tree, and the birds of the sky would nest there, and all uh, livestock would eat from this tree it was a pleasant tree and then and then an angel from heaven comes and speaks and cries out loud chop down the tree cut off all the limbs take the foliage and throw it away chase the animals away from here here's what we'll let it stay we'll put two bands of metal around the base of this tree at the stub of the tree and will let him live off the dew of the morning, and he will walk around like an animal. His mind will change to become like an ox, and he will be like this, living like an ox for seven years. That's the dream. And then he says to Daniel… You, Daniel, need to interpret that dream for me because none of my wise men and none of my uh, dream interpreters could do this, but you have the Holy Spirit from God in you so you would know. So Daniel's, that's what Daniel's job is to do. The point of what's happening is that God is trying to teach Nebuchadnezzar that God is sovereign over all human kingdoms, and he puts people in charge whoever he wills. And, and so he's, he gives him this dream and asks Daniel to interpret it because none of his dream guys can do that. And i got to tell you that you probably have already figured out what this dream means and you've never had classes on it. Those other guys didn't want to touch this dream interpretation. They, they knew where this was going. They were afraid. Daniel's not afraid, but it says in the passage that he's paused. And, it, and he's pausing because, this is interesting, because he loves the king. This is later on in their careers together. They've spent decades together, and I know he's not exactly the boss of the year month ever, but Daniel, he's learned to thrive, right, in a, in a chaotic culture, and he's, he's learned to love and submit his boss, and so he, see, he hears this dream, and he's double-clutching, and the king says, no, 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 just tell me. Don't be afraid. Just tell me, and so he starts off by saying, I wish this dream were for your enemies, because it's not, it, it's not a good dream. It's for you. And so it's his loyalty and kindness that causes him to pause. And he says, you're the tree. All, you've, all your military accomplishments, that's how it got big. All, all of your organizational, you know, genius, that's, that's the tree in its splendor. And so let me just read you his description. He said, in verse 22, he says, oh, it's you, O king. You have grown great and strong, and your greatness has increased and reaches the heaven, and your sovereignty ends at the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw the angel coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground and put bands of iron and bronze around it and live as on the grass field, let him bathe in the dew from heaven, and let him be like the other animals that he would live in the field, And he will do this seven times for seven seasons or seven years, uh, most people say. Uh, And this is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree from the Most High God that has come upon you, that you are Lord and my king. You shall be driven away from human society. And your dwellings shall be like wild animals, and you will eat grass like an oxen, and you will be bathed like from the dew from heaven. And seven times, seven years shall pass over you until you have learned, here's our lesson, until you have learned that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he wills. And it is commanded It was commanded to leave the stump alone and let the roots of the trees grow because your kingdom will be reestablished from that time when you see the sovereign God of heaven. Then he pauses, and then he pleads. Verse 27, he says, Therefore, O king, may my counsel be acceptable to you. Atone for your sins with righteous deeds, for your injustice." Replace that with mercy for those who are oppressed so that your prosperity would be prolonged. Please repent, he's saying, right? I mean, just to be, just to be clear here, he's saying unless you repent, unless, unless you replace your wickedness with righteousness, and unless you replace your injustice with generosity, you'll be, you'll be crazy for seven years. You'll be mad. And, and you'll stay there until you learn that the Most High God is sovereign over all of the kingdoms of man, and He puts people where He wants. It's God who puts people whomever He wants. And, okay? So He's saying, You're the tree, you're the stub, and uh, you're gonna lose it all. You're gonna lose your power and your fame and your mind. So please, He's saying, What He's saying here is, please repent. Please just acknowledge this, that God Almighty, right, is sovereign over all the kingdoms of men. He put, God put you here. The Mighty One has put you here. But if you don't, so here's the thing. If you don't, you're going to have to learn another way. Here's the symptoms. Here's what got Nebuchadnezzar in this place. And I say that because it's diagnostic. It's almost like, you know, coming to a doctor. Here's what he was doing. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar, see if there's Nebuchadnezzar in your soul he was ungrateful. Okay. The, the, fir, the first decline in man, in the history of the decline of man, it says, and they did not give thanks. It's a terrible sentence or phrase in the book of Romans, and they did not give thanks. When you're not grateful, you think all your stuff is yours, and so you think I did it. And that leads to the next thing that he wasn't. He was not generous. See how it says you need, in, in the context of repenting, you need to be generous towards the poor. You need to be giving. Be, and he wasn't because he thought it was all his. He's not grateful because he thought he did it. And he wasn't generous because he felt like it all belonged to him. Do you have problems with gratitude? Do you have problems with generosity or the lack thereof? Ingratitude Stingy hearts, the problem is pride. And pride in the soul is cancer. It'll it destroys you. We'll talk more about that in, in just a few minutes, but, but is this you? Because if this this story could be yours. Look how gentle uh, Daniel is in this. He's not, he's not, you know, kind of one of those overbearing, you know, southern preachers. You know, you need to repent. He's begging him. It's like, your prosperity could continue. Your, your, your prosperity could keep going. You know, all you, have to, all you have to do is renounce, you know, your pride right now. It's up to you, right? And then the tension in this passage is, will Nebuchadnezzar bend his knee? Will he submit to the sovereignty of God? Will he acknowledge that he's just a small little man in a bigger plan and is not all-powerful to be feared? Will he start being generous? Will he become a thankful person, a grateful person? We'll see. Verse 28 goes on. And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And the king said out loud, he says this out loud, Is this not magnificent Babylon? which I have built as a royal capital by my mighty power and my glorious majesty and for my more, more, you know, glorious majesty. 12 months, 12 months, God gives him grace for 12 months to turn and he doesn't. And I mean, how many times does he say this? Every, all these times, every day he wakes up whether he's consciously or unconsciously doing, will he bend the knee to God? Okay, will he do justice? Will he become a, a, a generous person? My town, my palace, you know, my garden, my money, and 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 what, I mean, what does he do with the dream? I mean, he had this terrifying dream. He had this prophecy inflicted upon him. The, the lesson, the message was clear. What does he do? Does he say, uh, you know what? Someday, you know, right? I'm going to start being generous. I'm going to start being grateful someday. Or, you know what? God is patient. Or, you know, I just, maybe he forgot. Or maybe he's not even God. But 365 days go by, and he's living just like he's always lived. But listen, from God's point of view, that's Nebuchadnezzar's point of view. He's still happy and content. From God's point of view, this man has been enslaved to his, his arrogance. His soul is sickening and is consumed with pride, and we've got to get in there and get some surgery on this. See, he thinks he's fine. The doctor God says, no. No, we've got to go to plan B. This story is a story of plan A and plan B. And plan A, come let us reason. Come let us reason. Plan B, I need to provide some natural consequences so that I can have your attention and make you more teachable. Classic parenting, right? Parenting, natural consequences, Classic parenting, start with plan A, right? Uh, I, I, I earnestly, talking to a three-year-old, I earnestly invite you to reconsider some of your current actions and stop pulling your sister's hair as it could cause not just physical injury but psychological injury, needing for counseling later, right? And there's a lot of people out there that think that, you, you know, parenting is just plan A. That's all. You just need to reason with a three-year-old child. There's a phrase for people like that called People Without Children. (laughs) And if that were true, then we wouldn't have little timeout chairs or wooden spoons or tranquilizer darts. Anybody? All right, let's go back to watching TV. (laughs) Plan B. Three-year-olds have to have some kind of plan B. Look, this is not new, okay? In a great repentance psalm, Psalm 32, David is repenting. He's repented from some things he's doing, and he's saying, man, you've got to go with plan A. Okay, here's Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. Don't be like a horse or a mule which has no understanding but must be controlled by bit or bridle or they will not come to you. 365 days of plan A. Come on. Day 366, he wakes up in the morning, and this is what happens. And the king said, verse 30, and the king said, Is this not magnificent Babylon, which I have built as a royal capital by my mighty power and for my glorious majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar to you it is declared, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven away from human society, and your dwelling shall be with animals in the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like oxen, and seven years shall pass over you until you learn, here it is, the most high God has sovereignty over the kingdoms of mortals or the kingdoms of men, and it gives it to To whom he will. I am the great and mighty Nebuchadnezzar. Just like that. Just like that. He loses his mind. Boom. He thinks he's cattle. And it says later on that his hair grows out to be like eagles' feathers, and otherwise it starts matting. He's like a homeless person. His fingernails and toenails become like claws. We've seen crazy men in our own uh, contemporary experience. Like that, he's becoming an animal. And here's the thing. Here's why is God doing this to him? Because God is showing us these are natural consequences that are logical. They, they fit the crime so that you can connect the dots, so that we all would know, so that we would all know, that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms of men. He puts people in charge. And here's the connection between the two. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was more than man, and so God's going to make him less than man. Nebuchadnezzar looked down on his fellow man, and now his fellow man will look down on him. This is the great and mighty Nebuchadnezzar. Friends, for seven years, how does the palace adapt? Okay, hey, Hey, did anybody uh, put Nebuchadnezzar out today? Because, you know, it's always, it's it's Wednesday. Somebody's supposed to put him out. Whose turn is it to take him for a walk? Come on. Come on, Nebuchadnezzar. Come on. I know you hate the leash. I know you hate the leash. Come on. He's come a long way, hasn't he? It's been the purpose of God to do this. We're on chapter 4. He's had three warnings. He's had three chances to learn this lesson. That all the living, that's you and that's me, that all the living may know that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over the lowliest of men. We think think that we're more than we are. We we, We think people care about us more than we should. We're just little things. And God is so huge. And sometimes it takes just a little bump to remind us they were not really there. You know, we're, we've overinflated things. Uh, some of you remember the name Don Shula. He was uh, hes still, I think to this day, one of the winningest football coaches in the NFL history. He's gone to the Super Bowl more than any coach in history. He was—he's, I think they won three Super Bowls when he was with the Miami Dolphins. He, he had an undefeated season, 17-0. Pretty famous guy and in the prime of his fame uh, during the offseason. He was up in New England area and, and he, he went... Uh, he went to a movie theater, and it was snowy night. There was you know, not a lot of people out, so he went to this movie theater. And when he and his wife walked in, everybody clapped for him. And he looked at his wife and goes, I can't believe this. Even in New England, everybody knows who I am. And so they sat down, and they watched the movie. And the movie's over. They got up, and a couple of people came over, and he shook hands with them. And he said, I, I, I just couldn't – I can't believe you know who I am. And, he's, and the guy said, what, should I know you? I don't, I don't know who you are. We all clapped for you because the manager said unless two more people come in, he wasn't going to start the movie. It's good to know that Don Schuler wrote that and told that story. <laughs> he realized he' not that big a deal. A revival takes place after seven years, and he comes to his senses. And when that period was over, I, Nebuchadnezzar, still his diary, left my eye, uh, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I I, I blessed the Most High. Now he's praising the God of Abraham. And I praised and honored the one who, who uh, lives forever. In he, for he is sovereign in everlasting sovereignty. In his kingdom, it endures from generation to generation. He has a whole new heart. He has a new calibration of life. He realizes who he is and who he's not. He'd tell you this. You thought I was crazy when I was a cow? I'll tell you, when I was crazy, I was crazy and stupid when I was walking around going, I'm Nebuchadnezzar, the great and mighty, the all-powerful who should be feared. What he got out of this was he realized that God is so, so big, and he is tiny, little, bitty, small. Look how he's using phrases that were common to him, and now he's magnifying them and projecting them on God. He says, look, you know, I was a sovereign when I was a king, but then I became a cow. And then he says, but you, your sovereignty is from everlasting, is everlasting sovereignty. He says, I had a kingdom once, and then I was put out to pasture. That, you know, okay. Look what he says about God's kingdom. He says, his kingdom endures from generation to generation. He took all the things that he thought were rights, were his rights to have power and authority, and, right? and he realizes those were all gifts because he's learned, like all living things are supposed to learn, that the mighty God has the power and he's sovereign over all kingdoms of men, that God gifted him with those things, and now he's becoming grateful, and now he's generous. Look how he's praising God. Now he's going to become generous. This is is the question that this chapter is begging all of us to answer. This is the question right up here on the screen. Have you learned that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and gives gives it to whom he will, and He sets it over even the lowliest of men. Do you get that? Have you learned that? Because if you have, here's the application it's easy. Just let God be God. If that's true and you believe it to be true, then just let God be God. And there's two ways we can apply this simply, okay? And both of them are, are coming right out of this passage, okay? Well, let's, let, let's let God be God. Let's let God just be God. Big, huge, powerful God who has sovereignty over all the kingdoms of men. He puts anybody he wants in charge. And, it, and no one says, what are you doing? Let's, think of, let's talk about our culture. Let's talk about our country. I know. It's, it's gross. Okay. The reason we started this series long ago, why we you know, flagged it more than a year ago, was because of the disintegration of culture and our country. And I, it's pretty easy to talk about the corruption of the politicians. You know, they're just power hungry. They don't care about us. Right? The, the taxation that's gone through the roof, and it still can't kept, catch up to a debt. It's insurmountable. Our borders are porous right uh, uh, foreigners take up most of our jobs and and what we almost have we're, we're lessening in our foreign trade what are we going wait wait i'm sorry that was a list of how rome fell that's a 2000 year old list you can look it up on any uh, research and say how did rome fall and they'll give you those five reasons if you don't remember history you're going to be pretty committed to repeating it This chapter is written for you who are afraid, because there's no reason to be afraid. Why would you be afraid? Look, listen, and learn from the new and improved Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 34 For his sovereignty is everlasting sovereignty, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants Of the earth are accounted for nothing. He does what he wills with the hosts of heaven and the inhabitants on earth. There is no one who can stay his hand, stop God, and no one can say to him, What are you doing? He's doing just fine. Is that okay? Doesn't matter what you think. (laughs) Who cares? Look, this this chapter, this book, this chapter was written for kind of us, but for Israel, for Jerusalem. The northern tribes are scattered abroad. The two southern tribes where Jerusalem, and that that town has been obliterated, and they're now in captivity. And it clearly, it seems to them that God is not in charge. And there is no hope for them in the future, and they have been forgotten. And so, Daniel is written, and these words by by a narcissistic, megalomaniac, hooperous king who has spent the last seven years eating grass. And so, he has them tell the Jews, You have a great and awesome God here. (laughs) And no one can stay his hand, and no one can say to him, "Uh, What are you doing? Look, the whole first chapter, first six chapters, they all start the same, right? Woe is us. Where is God? And then how's the chapter end? Some king bowing face down in front of the God of Israel. This is for you if you're afraid. This is for you. You can be sad for what things are going on. You can grieve and go through the stages of grief with anger and denial and acceptance and bargaining. And all. That's, all, that's all good. But you can't be afraid. It's Frankly, it's a sin. It's a sin. Because God wants you to learn this. That, that it, it, is, it is God Almighty that rules all the kingdoms of men. And it's he who puts people in charge, whomever he wants. Next February 10th, one, our new president, whoever that person is, could be out eating the lawn at the White House. It would work. It would fit. It would make sense to us. Maybe they're doing it now. Just grieve, no fear. That's, that's why this was written. If this is true, then let God be God. God. Second way to apply this is in our own hearts, we, in our own Nebuchadnezzar hearts. Let God be God. Let God be God. Quit being God. Just leave the place, the planet alone. Quit believing in the illusion of, of control and sovereignty. Andrew Murray writes it this way, pride must die in you for nothing of heaven can live in you. When there's pride, it's, it's your soul is saying pride's saying there ain't there ain't room enough in this town for both of us. And while pride exists, heaven cannot. Pride sucks life, all the fullness of life. It takes it away. When you succeed, you kind of say, if a proud person succeeds, like Nebuchadnezzar and says, Of course, it's about time. There's, there's no gratitude, there's no generosity. And so you can't even enjoy the the innocence of success because it was on you. And then when things go bad, right, then then you you, you turn bitter, it's not fair, you're a taker, and you can't even enjoy failure, the innocence of failure. And so this is a template for how God works. And might I appeal to this, God is working in all of our hearts to rid us of this cancer called pride, choose plan A. Okay, you really want to choose plan A. Plan A is easier. Plan A is, God says, come, let us reason. Let me teach you the ways of the Lord. And here's 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 the prayer of plan A. The prayer of plan A goes like this. Lord, Could you show me areas in my life where I'm proud or vain or conceited and so that we you know and and I will do what I can to rid myself of those things. Can you give me these stories, you know, like Don Shula, so that I could remind myself of who I am and who I'm not? That's the prayer plan A. And you're just you're just going along and working with the Lord's Spirit. If you're confronted by people and they tell you and maybe they're a place that You know, maybe they're a little bit wiser or in a different place than you are. And you're confronted by two or three people that say you are proud. Please don't argue. Please don't fight and debate the issue. It kind of proves the point. Here's what you do. You go over here to the grocery store and you get yourself your favorite bottle of salad dressing because you're going to be eating grass for seven years. And you're going to want it to taste a little like something, something you remembered when you were human. It's coming. If plan A doesn't work and you're on day 366, here comes plan B. Here's a prayer for you. Here's a prayer to pray when you're in plan B. Lord, you are merciful and kind. While I'm here eating the grass, could you make sure that we get it all? If, if we're going in for this chemo and radiation, give me everything you have. I don't want to be back here again. While I'm in the woodshed, is there a list that we could, you know, can, you know, collaborate on so we can get this spanking done, and then it'll be done done? That's a prayer of mine. I've prayed twice. I'm hoping I don't have to pray it a third time. That's the prayer of a of plan two, plan B. Plan A, choose plan A. Plan B, only stay as long as you have to until you realize, like all living things, right, that the God Almighty, right, the most high God of the universe is in charge. He's sovereign over all the kingdoms of men and he puts in charge anybody he wants. Let me tell you, this sounds kind of like a downer right here, but I want to tell you something. On the other side of Plan B, you will rejoice. You will love what God has done in your life. You're going to be free. You'll be free to be yourself. You'll be unentangled by your ego, and, and you'll praise God because now you've learned that the Most High God who rules the kingdoms of all men, and is given he, and he's in charge, and he put anybody he wants in charge. Look what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to how he's praising God for his days in the lawn. Verse 36 says, And at this time my reason returned to me, and I reestablished over my kingdom. Still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, pray. This is the last part of the chapter, right? This is how it ends. Now I praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, the God of Israel, right? For all his works are truth, (laughs) and his ways are justice. And he is able to bring low those who walk in pride. <laughs> I think he's talking about him. Because he is, he's at, at the pinnacle of his power. There's been no one in history of humanity. There's been six people like him. And he loves the new him. You know why? Because he's, what's happening here is he just got out of some very difficult surgery that took an extremely long period of time. And it was excruciatingly painful and humiliating. And here's what he's saying. I'm cancer-free. I'm done. I can, I, can, I can see him now. I can see him for what he is. This is a common theme. It's a common malady with men. Okay, that's the nature of mankind, and do not give thanks. There's a great illustration of this in C.S. Lewis's uh, children's you know, fairy tale of, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's a guy, there's a person, Nebuchadnezzar is played by a person. This is, this is his introduction. I love this. And the boy was called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved the name. <laughs> Eustace Scrub. Say no more. Yes. He was arrogant and petty and obnoxious and difficult to be with and, and right, self-centered and turned in, and there was no dealing with him. And plan A was was shortly entertained and so in 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 the context of his greed and selfishness he finds some you know a stowaway from a, a dragon and he's and he's just he's falling asleep just drinking in all the gold that he would have and he wakes up and he is a dragon and he's crying with pity because he can't, he can't seem to undo himself, and he starts clawing away. Aslan shows up and says, we'll scrape it off, and he's scraping off his dragonness, and he tries once, and it hurts, and he gets a lot of it done, but it keeps resuscitating itself, and he's back again at zero, and so he scrapes again a third time, and then he just quits pathetically, hopeless. He can't do anything. And then Aslan, okay, Aslan's the Christ figure. He's, he's a lion's line. He's a lion the size of a Clydesdale. And so Aslan says, I must undress you. And Eustace says he took his claw out and cut into the dragon. He says, I, he cut so deep. I, I knew he almost all but touched my heart, and he cut down, and it was the most painful thing I had ever experienced in my life. And when he's telling this story, another member of the, of the little entourage said, yes, I know. People who have been undressed by Aslan it's a shared experience. It's not a pleasant one. And he said he cut all the way down and freed me from my ego. And here's how he describes his ego after Aslan. Is, it was much thicker, darker, and more knobby looking than any of the other skins that I had been trying to take away. And then when he finally got through with it, I was free and I got a bath and I was a boy again. I was a bo- I was who I was meant to be. And Eustace became uh, St. Eustace. That's what God wants to do with us. Aren't you? I mean, don't you just hate? Don't you just hate being consumed with yourself all the time? It's all about you. It's about offenses. It's about your, your soul turned in. Don't you, don't you hate that? It's, it's exhausting, isn't it? It's not how we were meant to live. And God shows up in this story says, look, I've, I've worked with Nebuchadnezzar. I know what self-absorption looks like. So here's our conclusion. Choose plan A. And if you don't, choose plan B. It'll be chosen for you. And, and I guess appreciate what's happening to you and the love and the love that's causing this to happen. Okay. And, and let's just pray with that. Why don't we just pray those two prayers, plan A and B. You you do your own reckoning with God about where you are. Lord Jesus, I, I pray for all of us. We all want plan A. Come, let us reason. And, and so some of us, uh, Lord Jesus, I, I'd ask that you would continue to ding us with little stories of thinking uh, we're something when we're not. Just little reminders that would help us stop and double-clutch and say, you have some work to do in my soul still, Lord. You, there's still some cancer in there. Could you could you take that out as painlessly as possible? And then there's three-year-olds. There's those, and you don't negotiate with terrorists. And so, Lord, I know there's people here that are maybe on their ninth month and they're running out of time. There's some people here that are just turning that corner. And so, Lord, I pray this plan B prayer that, uh, while we're on our hands and knees and while we're, while we're eating this grass, Lord, I'd ask that You would take all of this sin, that You would take all of the pride, that we would be self-forgetful, we would praise You for Your surgeries, for the power of Your love in our lives, that we would come to know that You are the Most High God and You rule the kingdoms of men and You give it to those whom You choose. No one can stay Your hand And no one can ask you, what are you doing? Let us know that God that we keep singing about that would care so much for us that you'd make us into a cow to make us into a saint. So we trust you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.